Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. My name is Jason Smith, and today with me is Alex Schur. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Schur. Hey, if you like the show, please subscribe. Experience, development, skills, and opportunities used to be priorities for entry-level and mid-level management, but Gen Z is breaking the mold. According to surveys and research, Gen Z is obsessed with getting higher salaries immediately. Some employees even leave their jobs over this demand. What is the logic of their struggle? What do you think, Alex? I've actually heard real life stories about this. My friend owned uh, a translation company, a localization uh, expert company, and he was hiring graduates of the year, right? And this person Mm -hmm. comes in who had basically zero real working experience and demanded Mm -hmm. back then, I think it was 2013, demanded, uh, I think, 10K per month, which is pretty high for, you know, if you're Mm -hmm. graduate of the year. And my friend said, what do you think you deserve? What makes you deserve 10K? Or what what do you think that you can get this 10K per month salary? Mm -hmm. And this person said with full on confidence and not even trying to sound anyway at all and just said because my friends are getting 10k and that's the amount of money I need to survive in Beijing. $10,000? RMB. Oh, I was like I was trying to put this into this context. Is, this is in like, Beijing. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. this was in China. So 10,000 10, quad per month will probably give you uh, a pretty decent, very decent well, life, actually. I don't want to go into that too much because I think there is a difference between foreigners and local staff sometimes. Oh, that is true. I do. I want to tell a different story. Yeah. I used to work for a major corporation where there's ladder climbing and all that. And when I got into mid-level management, there's two parts to this story. The first thing they told me that instead of giving people dramatic pay rises between promotions that they were offering development opportunities. And they claimed that development opportunities were what Mm. people wanted and that you gave people opportunities to learn and things like that, that people would be more willing to stay. And they were dealing with a turnover, trying to increase the quality of turnover so that the high quality people that we were working with would stay. Later, Mm. I took a Harvard business management course, which was part of my development, Mm -hmm. and they said the same thing. And so I was kind of surprised and it took me a long time to absorb that. But I did notice that Mm. if I had direct reports, people under me, you know, uh, who were reporting to me, if I gave them opportunities to shine or opportunities to do things that they'd never done or give them opportunities to learn, get new certificates, they were they in fact were more likely to stay. Uh, This was on top Mm. of the usual 6 to 9% increases of pay annually, which everyone pretty much expects in the corporate world. Which doesn't happen very often nowadays anymore. Western companies, I think it does, absolutely. (laughs) Private companies, this happens a lot. So big corporations, they try to incentivize people to stay by offering them opportunities to develop. Mm. But apparently, this model is in decline. Like, and you know, if you look at the United States, you see a lot of people in my generation, Mm. Gen X. I'm a millennial. You're a Gen X, right? They uh, can't Mm. afford homes, right? In the United States. I have a different, a whole different set of economic circumstances. So I'm an exception, an outlier, and and not on the bell curve. But in America, people in my generation can't afford homes. And people in my parents' generation bought homes for like nothing. It was like, here's a pile of dirt. Can I have a home? Yes, here you go. Like, (laughs) it was, they were so affordable compared to wages back, you know, in the in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. By the time you get to my generation, it's like, you know, 500 and it's half a million dollars for a house and people are making less. I mean, I guess the median in- income is like 60 or 70 thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So it's a lot more difficult to become a homeowner, especially with things like student loans and people with credit card debt and all this the stuff. living expenses. Exactly. Yeah, and inflation has been insane for these last three years and it's still at like 4.2 percent, which is still above normal. So even though it's come down, things are still becoming more expensive at a faster rate. So, and most of those things are not imports, by the way, I did discover this recently. Mm. Most of these things are not electronic devices. They're not like uh, personal commuting devices. Most of it's like food Mm. and school books and things like, you know, things that are coming from within the United States. Those are the things that inflation is, you know, basically life taxing people for. So the new generation, I guess your generation and younger, (laughs) they're like, I want a home. 
you you got a pain. Yeah, or I just want a life. Yeah. So what does that mean, younger person? I think it's a, <laughs> it's sort of an inevitable change with how far we've come as a society. You know, like people have been over the or they have been living with less of the stress and anxiety of just surviving, mm. and they've really broadened the concept of what living is. Mm-hmm. Just because it is there, it's hard for them to ask for employers to just provide basic survival needs without offering them just a little bit extra for them to experience this world and to have a life or to live just with a little bit more comfort. Because I always do this thing. It's really weird, Jason. I don't know if you do it as well. I go on job websites. I look at, even though I'm not looking for a new job, or even though I'm not looking for jobs in this specific line. (laughs) (laughs) This is my pastime. Yeah, yeah. I go on, I do the same thing with apartments. I do do it too. But I go on job sites and then I look at the job postings with the salary written in the in the in the ad Mm. and then i think about do i qualify for this job Mm. if i do qualify for this job with this amount of money that i'm getting paid for what kind of life would i be able to have can i still live in my current apartment Mm. or oh maybe i could live in a five thousand quiet apartment but what kind of Mm -hmm. apartment would that be and then i'll go on the housing website to look at five thousand quiet apartments and where they are and i don't know why i do this weird exercise almost regularly with myself Mm -hmm. and i always think what really matters to me is the growing opportunity of this Hmm. job because i to be honest i've looked at some i've seen some friends posting so you're more my generation probably you're passing over money to work at it i'm striding over both (laughs) (laughs) because i also look at the amount of money i'm making Mm -hmm. and then sometimes i come across these like waitress jobs as at these big clubs or Uh you know because they have to work night shifts and they have to work with very complicated clientele they get paid quite a lot and they don't have to pay for housing they stay in the dorms and their meals are provided and then they work their shifts and then the most they can make is fifteen thousand quite per month and i'm like that's almost more than what i'm making after i pay my rent i make right i make next to nothing but i'm Mm -hmm. not going to do that job because what am i going to be in the future Mm -hmm. i'm not going to spend five years there and then become the restaurant manager you know that's not my thinking at all what is your thinking jason because well i don't want to give away too much but uh you know i work here with doing this podcast and i make a reasonable amount of money money Mm. but i could make a lot more in my former profession right now in the market the way it is and there are development opportunities to make a lot more than that Mm. so i'm here at this podcast because i believe in what we're doing Mm. not because it gives me a lot more opportunities not because it gives me more money because it doesn't this is because i believe that more americans more people in the west need to understand china better we need to build better relations we need bridges built and so i'm here on this team to do that but if i want to if all my concern was just money i would jump right back into teaching because the market in china is Mm. ripe but i do want to go over americans concerns for uh, vis-a-vis money let's see so this these are true facts i checked them on google the google machine Mm. in 2010 Mm -hmm. minimum wage was seven dollars and 25 cents federal And in 2023, it's $7.25. That's 13 years. And I got the exact numbers from different websites. The median price for a new home in 2010, Mm -hmm. median, was $221,000. And in 2023, the average, which is not the same as medium, I know, but the uh, average price of a home is 436800 So homes have doubled and more than doubled in cost. Yeah. But people at the what we call the lower class or the middle class, mm. they are making the same amount of money that they were making, you know, 13 years ago. Yeah. That's not fair. I'm thinking about Gen Z entering into professions working in offices imagine they're looking at the dire situation in the united states and how it's become really unfair and they're thinking if i don't get a cut now if i don't get Uh it'll come into the workforce at a certain level i'm going to be like everyone else and not be able to afford a home and i'm going to be stuck with bills and i'm going to be stressed out and i'm not going to be able to have a family yeah that seems like the direction the united states is heading in it's turning into not three classes but two classes People with and people without. And then, of course, I guess there is the third class of people who just have seven yachts or whatever, because Bezos has two yachts when he rolls around. But one of them, one of his yachts is just to resupply the other yacht and they fly helicopters between them. 
listening to the bridge I mean, if you look at the the numbers for me, because I'm reading the beautiful, amazing stats that Jason put together, Mm. even back in 2020, if we do want to talk both median numbers, even 2020, the median number was 329,000. And you're making, if you're making the same amount. And then we also have to think, for me, I think about this. Okay, 2010, the minimum wage was 725. Mm. And the 2023 is 725. But we're not looking at any possible dips on that year. It's easy for us to sit here and talk about numbers Mm. on a, you know, a decade term but if you're really living in that decade it's not you're not going to be allowed to pay for stuff in 10 years you have to go through all of the fluctuations Mm -hmm. and if a certain year it goes much lower imagine if you're making just a little bit of money or right about the same amount of money to pay off your debt and if that year the economy is not doing so well can you make it through that year will you be able to make it make it through that year are you going to become like a not a homeowner anymore because of that year so there's a lot more situations in there that Gen Z people are growing up kind of witnessing probably. And that probably just made them make it made it part of their DNA to to look for, you know, better payment. It's not mm-hmm, mm-hmm, X. Right. They see they see their Gen X parents struggling and they see grandma and grandpa are like, oh, everything's dandy. <laughs> and like, yeah. Gen well, Z had to be kids of Gen boomers, boomers, of millennials. Yeah, my parents were boomers. I'm Gen X. It's so complicated. But my parents, it was really easy. They were just like, buy a house, build a house, whatever. It didn't matter. Like, everything was really, I mean, it was my parents owned different houses at different times. It was never a big deal. Yeah. Until maybe the mid 90s, things started just the way things, the way the US economy started squeezing money out of the lower and middle classes and pushing that up into the upper classes. It just made the United States the whole way. The playing field is not even anymore. Yeah. And if you don't jump into making money. So people are like, oh, you're going to give me like free French lessons. Right. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I want more money. <laughs> like So it's a whole different playing field. You can't just say, oh, we're going to help you get some certificates on Coursera. They're like, I don't want certificates on Coursera. Yeah. I want a pay raise. It's, it's very so, rare these days. You can just kind of. There's a term when I was doing freelance work in New York, people are like, oh, uh, what's the payment of this gig? If I take photos for you, it'd be like, oh, you got an opportunity for exposure. (laughs) Work for (laughs) a lot of people, quote unquote, work for exposure. I don't think that thing works anymore. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering, I guess in America, it's so cutthroat. Internships are still a thing. So if you're a college student and you don't need the money really badly, then you're probably taking either low pay or no pay internships, which is basically modern slavery in a kind of way. I wanted to just read a couple things from this article yeah. where I got the idea for this discussion. Mm. It's by Megan Carnegie, mm. May 31st, 2023. Why Gen Z are so motivated by pay. So you can <laughs> find this on, on BBC. And it mentions uh, that 70% of American Gen Zers named salary as their top work motivator, mm. along with insurance, along with health insurance, because oh my God, yes. that's also related to money in the United States. Ins- like going to the hospital can make mean the difference between between one life and a different life. And I'm not even talking about whether you survive. I'm just talking about your finance. Exactly. The whole thing, we used to tell this joke some more you know, students in the United States, people are like, oh, what's your health insurance? We're like, especially after you graduate, when our insurance is no longer being covered by um, our tuition or by our school, people are like, oh, what uh, health insurance are you on? We're like, we're on that Walgreens health insurance. <laughs> oh, goodness me. <laughs> Which, <laughs> you know, I can't even believe I did that. When I was in my uh, 20s, uh, before I was, I didn't go to college until I was like 21. Mm. So from 19 to 20, I didn't have insurance. And at the time I just thought, yeah, whatever. Never, it, I'm never going to get sick. Yes, man, I got so lucky that nothing happened to me. I know. Because I, I could be basically like a medical debt prisoner for the rest of my life in America. Yeah. So it's really interesting. It goes on to mention as a result, economic turbulence, people are worried about their future. They are, quote, demanding more remuneration from their employers than ever. And I was thinking about this in the context of a generational issue in the United States, mm. because my parents, uh, they retired 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the boomers. They're retiring. There's a lot of very talented people who are relatively financially secure mm. retiring and ha- having just retired for the next five years. And then the generation after that, who will be retiring soon, my generation will be like, what do I do? Yeah. 
So like you said, people are coming into the workforce and they're able to take new positions. New job openings are opening up because professionals are retiring. A lot of people are retiring and now these big companies, they're like, okay, well, we actually do need extremely hyper talented people to do those things. So if Gen Z is going to be like cash on the barrel head, you know, give me money. A lot of companies probably just going to have to pay them because they need. And right now there, I think there's nine million job openings and 6 million people who are unemployed. Most of those are in the service industry, but it tells a story about the larger you know, industry in terms of like, hey, if you want a job, you can have a job because there is a genuine need for talented professionals at any age who can do the thing, fly a plane, fix a plane, fix a runway, build a runway, all these kinds of jobs. Um, I don't know why I was all aeronautical. I don't. I'm thinking, too. But, you know, there's this um, um, uh, this guy, Mr. Zhang, I'm not going to name him because I don't know if he wants us to talk about him, but he offers people advice on what major they should pick for their college application or if you want to get a master's degree. He will ask you about your previous experience and what your what academic program you're in now. And he he gives you advice, really good advice on what to do. And a lot of like parents would call in, and this is China, by the way, mm-hmm. a lot of parents call in and say, oh, my kids are, you know, mm-hmm. not having very high scores and I don't know what school they can get into. Mm-hmm. And he would actually name the jobs that you just named and say, mm-hmm. if you can send your kids to a school that may not sound so fancy at the moment, yeah. but they that school specializes in all things related to airplane, to, mm-hmm. to airlines. Your kid could be a very good mechanic or, you know, uh, probably that paves the way for being an engineer. And if you, I could be wrong completely because yeah. I don't know those terms. Oh, yeah. listening to The Bridge. I actually did. I read an article saying the exact same thing. It's really interesting to me is, you know, I love Plato, but I mean, honestly, I think going to a university and I, if I was 18 or 17, I would not go to university. Mm. I would just say, screw that. That's not a good path unless you're like a STEM major yeah. and you have to really, 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 really work hard to survive. I would actually just do some kind of trade, like go become an airplane mechanic. Yeah. Some kind of specialty work. Hey, you know, you might may not have like a doctor at the front of your title, but you're going to probably make more money than a doctor. Yeah. And then that's a good career path as well as a skill that not a lot of people have. Yeah. And people will always need that. I mean, the wealthy love their little planes, so they're going to need someone to make sure that they work correctly. Right. (laughs) I always envy people or not envy. I'm just happy for people when they have hard skills. Like I have this friend who made her fortune. She has so much money right now, but she came from a little village in China and she worked on the construction sites for so many years. And then she realized that doing like, uh, what do you call it? uh, Project examination. She goes into different projects Mm -hmm. and makes sure that the air is correct. The quality, mm, the quality mm. is good and safe. And she made a business out of that. And she is one of the richest people that I know personally in my life. <laughs> and she doesn't have, you know, she didn't have a lot of, I'm pretty sure she doesn't want to talk about Plato ever. She probably, <laughs> you know, but she made a very, very, very solid career. And her business is bringing up more people like that who can handle that part of the business on their own. But when I talk to people with these kind of skills, they're always like, oh, you know, you have, you have the skills that I wish I had like you could talk I was like "Mm." (laughs) is that a hard skill can anyone talk maybe not Jason maybe we should feel better about ourselves I I don't know if I had to choose between being a really excellent talker who worked at Starbucks right (laughs) or like being someone who made great money and had good weekends and stuff I I probably want to work in the trade you know what I'm saying I'm with you I'm with you financial stability is so key to a happy life I agree I agree even though I'm making different career choices right now I'm still trying to hold on to things that could bring me stable income because I know how important it is I think it's really interesting that uh, these young folks are demanding a lot of pay and I really want to see how this plays out in the coming you know years because they're especially in America right now, there's just a huge demand for labor, like unmet demand for labor. Mm. And it seems like I'm guessing just on, you know, basic like supply and demand mm. companies are going to have to pay 
what I'm wondering is that I have many more questions than I have answers. So I don't know everything about economics. Let's hear them. Let's see. Maybe we well, can find you got an older person, a gen, you know, someone in their 50s or 40s or 30s even. Yeah. Right. OK. I don't mean to call you an older person. <laughs> Lump you in with me. Offended. Let's say they make a certain amount of money. Now you're hiring some 22 year old kid or 23, say 24 with a master's degree. Uh-huh. And they're going to make almost the same, if not the same as the person who's like 50. Mm. How does that affect the older people who lived in a work environment based on like pay based on pay related to seniority. Mm. How do the senior members of that company now feel when people in their mid 20 20s are making the same as them? Is that fair? Mm. Is it un is it is, is it unfair for mm. them to judge the 20 year olds? It, should they have just been more ruthless in their own time? I mean, I have so many questions about how does this affect <laughs> the working relationship between young people and older people, if young people can come in mm. and immediately be making as much money as they sh- they they would have been making in ten or twenty years in previous the previous system, I haven't experienced you know in an age gap that big. But for all the questions you asked, Jason, I feel like I personally went through like a minimized version of it. You know, with people who because mm-hmm. if you have listened to our show for long enough, you know that I still right now I'm still working in tech, but I wasn't a tech person, and this was just kind of an accidental career choice and I got into tech. So there are a lot of younger people who are much more advanced and much more sophisticated when they come when it comes to just working mm-hmm. in tech and they had the education, they had the working experience, right? Actually, those people are never the problem. Those people that like, for example, one of the design leads at my company is uh, 26 years old. And he's a a design lead for a very important internet product, mm-hmm. like a tech product mm-hmm. worldwide. Well, if we're if we all know what we're talking about, but because I know how good he is at his job, mm-hmm. I don't really think about how young he is. Mm-hmm. But you know what? When age becomes a problem, when it has anything to do with people skills, it really, mm-hmm. really shows. It really does show for these younger leads, design leads who are very skilled at their design jobs, they do show very obvious kind of very obvious shortcomings when it comes to managing their teams Mm. and interacting with other stakeholders. Mm -hmm. And it's the same for the team I'm on as well. We have people who are very skilled, who knows the system, who knows the tech, who knows, who has strong passion, who has great desire to excel on this team. But when it comes to just being, giving the right amount of enthusiasm or providing the proper feedback or information for people who need it to maximize the efficiency of communication. For me, you have to admit there is an age gap. If you have worked in this industry for more than 20 years, you definitely have more wisdom when it comes to soft skills. Mm -hmm. Hard Mm -hmm. skills, I never have a problem with people that are younger than Mm -hmm. me being Mm -hmm. more senior in the company. But when I do see the differences and I think that speaks to people maybe most people as well like they don't think if you're younger you got better education better education and we all know information channels are so much different than what we grew up with or what 50 year olds grew up with that's just hard facts you kind of have to come to you have to come to terms with Mm -hmm. but soft skills i feel like that just doesn't Mm. change so you think that Generally, people who are older or who are more familiar with a particular corporate culture have a tendency to be better communicators. But people with hard skills, mm. what at whatever age they are, are the ones who should be put in the positions to utilize those. I think so. At least that's what I have hmm. seen at hmm. my so job. So it's a ladder system. It usually goes towards managing larger amounts of teams. Mm-hmm. And the, in that ladder system where you get more and more teams or, you know, people under you or your direct reports, generally you start to make more money because you're in charge of more departments and more products and things like yeah. that. And so you become more vital. And I guess that is probably not going to change. But you give the example of someone who is tech savvy, who has skills that generally come with being younger. I've had I know a lot of people in IT and typically mm. they say if you aren't if you didn't start learning, this is a different argument. So I'm switching gears here a little bit. They yeah. said if you didn't start learning how to code the contemporary codes uh, when you were like 10 or 12, mm. even yeah. that you won't be able to. That if you started at, say, 30, started learning to code, you'll never be as good a coder at 40 
as yeah. someone who started at 10 and was 20 because maybe just the human brain that's how it works or something yeah like even language it works different um when you're when you're learning it really young versus when you're learning it at your adult age mm -hmm. i'm tr i've been trying to learn spanish and french for the longest time oh, it's, just, and, it's grown it was fr just french now it's spanish and french yeah <laughs> <laughs> i also i also tried korean but wow, you know that sounds hard yeah it's just you're so much more self-conscious your brain doesn't mm -hmm, function mm -hmm. the same way as when you were kids and it's the same with with codes and stuff but you know interesting um thing that you mentioned about coding mm -hmm. i think the way gen z's are looking at what they can do and what they're asking it really just again i think it just has so much do with the era they were born in um that they grew up in for me because i didn't start i didn't learn coding until i was in grad school as well i was already 24 or something and i was really stressed out because oh, i was 26 i think i was really stressed out because it just doesn't come natural to me and i wasn't a science student i learned it as a way to help with media design and i had such struggles and um, I remember having dinner with my friend Eli, who is really good at this coding stuff. And he's, I think he probably played with stuff like boys like to play with computer stuff back then, you know, without sounding like this is a stereotype. So he was a little bit mm. better, you know, acclimated to the whole computer context. And then when he got into grad school, he got into coding and data visualization. So he was very good at it. And back then I was, it was hard for me to get a media job sort of without having that uh hard skill um of coding so i was very frustrated and we're having dinner and, he, and i was telling him how frustrated i was and i feel like i'm lagging behind because i can't do data visualization i can't do stuff and then he was going in on that bowl of kanji that we were having <laughs> and he didn't he didn't really look up and he just said so why do you have to know it you can just hire people who know it i was like oh my god he just opened a, a different gate of my life like <laughs> i don't have to know it but i could use the skills i have in identifying talents and working with talents to have them do the work for me and i think it's just a different time and age kind of thing yeah i want to kind of i mean yes i understand your metaphor i think we got too deep in coding specifically because <laughs> i'm guessing that there are a lot more jobs out there than just coding mm. listening to the bridge let's see you know really struggling with this because the article almost entirely is based on what workers want Mm -hmm. And so it, it mentions the average entry level salary for U.S. workers in late 2022. So that's pretty recent is uh, $55,000. Yet living in San Francisco is going to cost $74,000. Yeah. But it also doesn't this article doesn't really talk about if the people who are making these decisions are going to hire them, because just like you um, mentioned that your friend said, oh, I could just hire people who could do that. If you're in a lot of kinds of jobs, right, you could just hire an older person who doesn't or someone, you know, who, who's switching careers or whatever. Yeah. So, someone from who's switching from retail to kind of jump in and give them some training and mm. then pay them less. So like you could have like a 23 year old True. who's extremely well qualified or you could just hire this 28 year old who has finally decided that, you know, working in fast food wasn't for him. Yeah. And then like, OK, I'm going to send you to this get this course on let's use airplanes again on like airplane maintenance. In the meantime, you'll be mm. like a grunt worker in, in the on the crew. And when you complete your training, you could start working on the airplanes and I'll pay you more. And mm. maybe from an employer's perspective, you could save money that way. Because there are people diving out of service industry and looking for better opportunities. So if you're looking to be an employer of someone mm. with a special skill set, can you just give them that skill set? That's the hard part. I feel I again. <laughs> I mean, I don't know um, the answer. I, that's why I say I have more questions than answers. Than answers. Me too. E economics is complex and there's so many like there's 360 million people in America. Yeah. We're primarily talking about. And you have, you know, all these young people coming with all these very expensive degrees coming out of the most advanced university system in the world. And yeah. now they're demanding extremely high pay. My mm. question, I guess, is and I don't think we need to answer it. And if you guys know the answer, you can email us at we love the bridge at gmail.com and let us know your answer. Will employers 
go for it? Do they have to go for it? Is the market such that they have to hire young people at higher prices or can they just hire other people and retrain them to do the same job? Because I think this article specifically doesn't cover it. I want to I want to switch gears a little bit again. Mm. This is Megan Tatum. That's the author. Why young workers are putting in so much overtime. Yeah. Which I don't know is completely accurate because we do a lot of these shows about this kind of stuff. And I, I think it's not always true. But statistically, I guess Gen Zers are working longer hours and pushing themselves to the brink of burnout. Mm. So what do you think that's about? I think is it proving themselves? They're trying to say I'm worth it. I feel like that's the look of it. That's what comes off when they work extra hours. But I I feel like because I worked with so many young people who actually do this kind of thing. Like they stay in the company until 10, 11. Unimaginable for me. I can't do that. Wow. I think they just are wholly committed to their job. And it's not a way of like, I want to be the role model for other people because they find jobs that they're really good at and they really enjoy it and they want Mm -hmm. to be good at it. Mm -hmm. Right. And they kind of take on the whole product. Like they have this, um, you know, the product we, I look at it as a job. They look at it as a product they're making no matter or how small their part is mm. in the whole process. And they kind of carry that to their entire working process. I think you're right. In my generation, it, it seemed more like get a job at the bank because they pay and it's reputable. But now yeah. it's people are getting jobs they're passionate about. They really are. And people would really look at everything they're doing as kind of detrimental to what this product becomes. In, a, in, another, in other words, maybe they're not as cynical <laughs> as we are. And so like I see their passion because I don't think you could continue to do this if you're just trying to prove yourself if you're not wholeheartedly really feeling this job you know i i I had this friend who just work friend who just got married and came back to work three days after the wedding and i said i said hey hun what how do you feel like do you feel different now that you're married she Mm -hmm. said Oh, yeah, I feel work becomes so much easier. Like, I don't have to think about my wedding anymore. That's what she's talking about. Because she planned her wedding as well. She made a huge Excel sheet on every detail of her wedding. And then she did like, you know, all of these like, um, what do you call that? Like bulletin points and Mm. uh, to do lists. And she was checking them off and she was making Gantt charts. Um, for her wedding wow. and this yeah so after her wedding she was like oh my god i feel i have a huge burden off my shoulder you know and then the first day after she came back she worked in the office until 11 30 p.m and then she posted a moment and she was like oh funny me came into work forgot my badge worked until 11 30 and the securities left the building so she got locked in the office building she had to call people <laughs> to get herself out because i talked to her a lot she's not trying to impress anyone hmm. that's just how she works Mm. So, you know, in that when we talk when we talk about Gen Z's work like that, secretly, do they need to be did it deserve a little bit more pay? <laughs> Maybe. Well, you, you mentioned in a previous show that you believe that people should respect the work hours. Could you elaborate yeah. on that? What did you mean when you said that? It's it's for me. It's it's very personal, but I think it's probably the same for people my age when we work. We don't really like when you're kind of at least personally i don't like to be disturbed for example at 10 or 11 p.m when you don't have anything urgent if it is something urgent i'm totally okay with this i took a work phone call um because there was an online accident that we had to deal with at 9 30 on a friday night and i was i stayed out for an hour to just you know my friends are drinking in the bar and i was making phone calls outside i'm totally okay with that because that's the nature of my job and i have to um when i sign up for the job that's part of it i have to take <laughs> but if it's just something like "Ooh, what does this mean or, or how like if it can't wait until tomorrow let it wait until tomorrow that's just you know that's yeah me i know what you mean yeah oh yeah you're listening to the bridge What I find interesting about these two articles, I want to, before I jump to that, I'm sorry, I want to uh, jump in here. So according to this article, the second article, Gen Z workers have had to navigate a tough job environment from the start of their careers. Many started to work their jobs during their pandemic and others, quote, have experienced furloughs and layoffs uh, for the first time. So I think this is interesting because you have this second article by Megan Tatum, May 29th, about working hard to prove themselves. 
And you have the first article by Megan Carnegie, May 31st, two days later, why Gen (laughs) Z are so motivated by pay. So I think there's a disconnect between the two sets of analysis here. I'm not trying to make fun of you, BBC, but you have these two writers. One of them is saying Gen Z are really begging for lots and tons of money when they come into the workplace. And then the other article by Megan Tatum is saying Gen Z is so terrified of losing their job that they're working harder than they need to. So, yeah, I think maybe (laughs) maybe the whole economy in the West is topsy turvy a little. I think it's maybe Megan Tatum and Megan Carnegie. They were looking at two different kinds of jobs or two different sets of data, two different sets of circumstances. I think this also teaches us a lot about news, you know, literacy. We need to, when we look at one article, it doesn't tell the whole story. You need to take, you know, many, many, many different kind of analysis and journalistic articles to kind of get a much broader perspective of what's going on. So in the first case, sure, I I imagine that there are lots of Gen Z people who do want higher salaries and some of them who are actually getting those. And I think we Mm. also have some Gen Z people who are scared of losing their jobs and trying to justify their being there by working really hard. Yes. So yes, and, and I, I know both. <laughs> <laughs> you know both. But are they working for the same company? Yes. 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 So how do these two things that seem to be in a little bit in friction go together? Well, because the the way the end result is kind of this anxiety to, to get the work done. Mm. So they coexist, but you can see very clearly who's mm. really into their job, who really takes on the kind of the company mission as their mm. own mission and who's there to try to get a better performance review results right. to, to get more bonus. Who's actually passionate. And well, I mean, can't both people necess- work hard, hard for the company, right? You could have someone who's passionate and they work hard because they love their job, right? Yeah. And you could have someone who isn't passionate, but they work hard to do a good job to get a good performance review. Aren't they both deserving of some uh, credit from their company? That's why the company hired both. Times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this kind of goes back to a previous conversation we had about who should be getting more money, talented people, passionate people, or mm. uh, people who work hard because if they're both contributing, then they both yeah. are deserving. I have a third article though. Yeah. This, is a, this one's a little bit older, October, 2022, Brian O'Connor. And this goes back to the first one by Megan. And Carnegie, yeah. why Gen Z are right to be worried about money. So mm. it, basically, this article discusses the economic justifications for being worried and that, mm. you, you know, the economy is such that you're going to end up being have or have not. You know, the inc- there's been dramatic increases in unemployment in a lot of Western countries, and there are dramatic mm. increases. Some of it is um, deliberate, but there are also increases in homelessness. Now, here's the thing about the United States. If you stop looking for a job for, I think mm. it's three months, they stop counting you as being unemployed because your statistic disappears oh, from the system. Oh, wow. That's, so you, that's it, sneaky. Yeah. So you get you actually have a slightly higher amount of unemployment than the official unemployment numbers in the United States. And Mm. then you do have an uptick in homelessness. And a lot of homeless are not, you know, alcoholic, fentanyl abusing, you know, people with severe mental disorders. A lot of them want to work, but it's difficult to get a job when you're living in a tent. I mean, and then even if even if it's not that extreme, I feel like, for example, if I have to pay my rent Mm -hmm. um, and I get a temp job, either waiting tables or whatever things that are not really in the system but i just get paid under table just to get by and i'm still looking for a real job at the same time and then if you discount me as someone who's on the hunting for a proper job that's kind of unfair you know yeah yeah i guess i get you what you're saying even if it's not even part-time let's say you get a full-time job while you're looking for your dream job but you only mean to work there for a couple months this is a very complicated thing listening to The Bridge. I wanted to ask you, because you work in China, mm. how are the, the stories that we're telling about Gen Z in the United States, are they basically the same as China? Is the relationship the same? Is unemployment the same? Is demands for higher pay the same? Or are they mm. different? Is there a different narrative, a different story going on here? What do you think based on your own personal experience? 
Yeah. So I think Gen Z in China, when it comes to demanding more pay, they're probably in sync to an extent with their Mm -hmm. American peers for very similar reasons. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to like, maybe I don't know everybody that comes from Gen Z. Mm -hmm. I don't think the Gen Z people are struggling as much here in China. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. Inflation didn't really happen here in the last three years. It didn't really hit us start hard. And then most of Gen Z's don't really need to stand on their own feet uh, completely. Like they always have a they kind of have a safety net you know yeah um and it's just like we are a lot of young people after they graduate from college it's not that hard for them to find jobs like they might change jobs quite often mm-hmm. you know they they are a lot more courageous about getting fired or just leaving their job than than us they're like if i don't like you i don't want to work here but they can pretty much get another job within i don't know two weeks or something wow so this whole really? gap thing where they're not getting any income is not very often at least that's not a major concern for most gen z gen zers is that what you call them um <laughs> i don't know i don't know um it just feels like there is a little bit less anxiety for Gen Z. You know, I see your point China. now that you've put it that way. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to just throw it out there anyway. In China, mm. staying with your mom and dad has never been um, or a hasn't. Problem. Yeah, it's never been like a sociological form of shame. Whereas in America, like if you move back in with your mom and dad, people in the past, there's been a stigma attached to it. Oh, he lives in his mom's basement, right? So <laughs> a lot of people in America did move back in with their moms and dads. And I think that's perfectly fine. I'm not judging these people at all. If I <laughs> if I had to live in America under today's circumstances, I would totally be like, mom, where's the soap? I'm coming over. <laughs> I needed to sleep on it. And I think that's I think that should be a reasonable thing. I think we should remove the stigma that you need to buy a house immediately. Totally I, think yeah, so. So, and and I learned I learned this about Singapore, which I didn't know before, because our Singapore team came to visit, and they were we had really good conversations about how to, how we live our lives differently in Singapore and in China. Hmm. And I didn't know this, but um, my coworker said that not a lot of people choose to go to grad school in Singapore. These schools in Singapore that offer master degrees are usually taken up by foreign students. Local Singapore kids, they finish college and they are educated enough and skilled enough and they also want to have a life. If you want to have a life in Singapore, you have to go immediately into the workforce because you need to pay for your work. But then even if you go into the workforce, it still takes a very, very long time for you to be able to afford your own property Hmm. as as property price in Singapore is, is just ridiculously high. And so they said a lot of people stay with their parents, even after yeah. they have a boyfriend or even after they get married, they stay with their parents because there's no point in getting a new place mm-hmm. um, and give yourself all of that stress. But of course, the places they stay at, I, I looked at some of the photos. I was like, these are nice places. At least they're spacious. And, you know, yeah. everybody gets their own uh, room for activities and stuff. So, you know, if you didn't want to look at China, you want to look at Singapore, which is a you know very developed country mm-hmm. and mostly. And it's easy to live time, with your mom and dad because you're all in. In one city. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, who do we, whose house do we go to on, on Chinese New Year? Well, your parents' house first and then my parents 10 seconds later. But they live with their parents as well. And these are the people who work in work in tech and finance and all of these like fancy industries who have higher positions as well. Not they're not just like, oh, I'm living with my parents because I am broke. I'm not doing anything with my life. It's just a life choice that they make so that they have more money to eat good food, go on nice trips and, you know, spend money on their kids and all of that. So I think we should, we're at the age, you know, give open up your mind to more possibilities where live with your parents and just give well, yourself a I also think it's time. not about the kids sometimes because sometimes it's about the parents. There is an American ethos of you need to get out there and prove that, you know, you're a man or a woman or whatever. So it's just like, go. Survive. Yeah, get out own. there and survive. Yeah, if you can fly, you can fly. If not, you're going to hit the ground. Like there's a... And my parents did that to me to some extent. Yeah. They were like, okay, here's the door. And but I, I read this on Instagram the other day. And for those parents who are or those people who are in this conversation in America specifically, I'm really talking to you guys or us. Let your 18 year olds stay. Charge them $500 a month rent, which is cheap. And when they're 24, kick them out and give them $36,000 that you've been saving for them. Oh, my God. That's enough for a down payment on a house. 
That is amazing, Jason. I didn't come up with this. I read this on someone's Instagram. I don't even know who it was. Just some random influencer. And it's a really good idea because a lot of Americans are having difficulty saving for a down payment. So if your kid, you know, is working at Walgreens as the assistant manager, good for them. Charge them money. Let them stay at home. Let them live with you. Help them out for a few more years and then say, here's all the cash I've been saving for you. Go put a down payment on the house. Get out. And now that kid is making payments on a house and they're pretty financially stable. You just really helped your kid survive kicking them out isn't necessarily the best way to help your kid they're not birds yeah. <laughs> i know like throw them off the train they can fly themselves <laughs> okay so yeah I, I get i get it that you know young people are looking up they're looking around and, and they're seeing I'm, i don't want to be unfair here i think mm-hmm. a lot of americans are successful and that's why houses cost so much but I think there are also a lot of people who are not able to move over that threshold. And so young yeah, people, that, absolutely. they're looking up at these, the adults around them, you know, the people in their 30s and 40s and 50s. And they're saying, yeah. OK, my, this uncle has a house and he makes a lot of money. And this uncle, this auntie, she doesn't have a house. So hmm. how do I do that? She, he makes more money. I need to make more money. So they come in and they say, give me money. And I think that's I think that's reasonably fair if they have the ability to contribute to the company in a meaningful way that will help that company develop its product and be profitable. I think Mm. there's no reason not to pay young people enough to survive. And I think this is the problem for a lot of Americans. They see CEO pay and they'll see the profitability of the stock market and they see the Fed and the Treasury looking after the stock stock market. What is the stock market? That is making money for people who had enough money to invest to make more money. The problem <laughs> is that is not a good way to gauge an economy where the workers yeah. are working two jobs, making minimum wage and can't afford a home. The way that the United States needs to begin to look at its metrics is to look at those with the least and figure out what's best for them. I agree. And looking to the other side of the world Mm -hmm. a little bit, Mm because we are doing a lot of things that people might think are ridiculous or Mm -hmm. makes you weak. But it's just kind of I mean, it didn't stop any country from it didn't stop us. It didn't stop Singapore from going forward Mm -hmm. or developing. Mm -hmm. Is it really, Mm -hmm. you know, that bad of a thing? It's not. I have a question. Uh, Yes. Why did I get nervous? I have a question, Alex. (laughs) Um, Do you pay rent? Of course. Did you know that you're supposed to get a tax rebate on that rent? I, I, yes, I found out about that two years ago. And I also just found out that I could get returned from my, what do you call that? Like not housing allowance, but you know, the company pays for like housing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could get money from that as well every month. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I so, just knew it. And I'm like, oh my God, that's a huge lift off of my shoulder. You know, I don't know everything about the Chinese economy. It is complex and it's very different from my own economy. So yeah. I don't fully understand it. But some things that I do understand because I've had personal firsthand experiences, if you are paying rent in China, you get money from the government. If you own a home, you don't get money from the government. If you own two homes, they start taxing sometimes in some places your second home. So what that means is they're basically the Chinese government is structured in such a way that they take a slight edge off of the wealthy and they give that edge back to the the people with less. So Mm. there are subsidies built into the tax system so that the more money you make, the more you're contributing to the people who make less money. So the system is designed. I mean, they think they call it socialism with Chinese characteristics, right? Yes. There is a degree of socialism here in China that makes it so that the people who make less are actually more well off than their American counterparts. So sometimes Mm. I see American economists trying to compare the American and Chinese systems by looking at like GDP per capita. But that's not telling the whole picture, because even though some people may be making less than their wealthier counterparts, they're still literally have more money than the U.S. economist might realize because they're getting tax incentives. A lot of people in the countryside, they don't make any kind of mortgage payment. They own their home outright completely in like almost all cases in the countryside. Everyone completely owns their home. It's been in their family for generations. They pay a small tax like every time it passes hands or every 70 years or something, but Mm. it's theirs and there's no housing bill at all whatsoever. So you can't compare people who make 
less per GDP in China in the countryside because, in fact, they're more financially stable. And also with medical, they have access to medical with very little income. They can just go to a hospital and get anything Mm. taken care of. So American counterparts, that does not happen. So there are definitive structural advantages to being in China, even if you make less money than your American counterpart, because your American counterpart might be making slightly more money, but they have so many bills that are crushing them and they don't have any a lot of support. Maybe they have like, I don't snap benefits or something or Medicaid in some cases. But oftentimes the cases their Chinese counterparts who are making less are more financially stable than than people who are less well off in America. So I don't want to use the word poor, but lower classes in China have a better deal than lower classes in the United States. If you actually look at all the significant details that U.S. economists leave out. Basically, your income brackets doesn't affect your status of living. Right, right. Absolutely. You know, when we're talking about all of this whole what decides that they could get more pay if they want more pay and then what are they going to do with the pay that they get and what they should do for me it's really like kind of it's all interwoven with each other and it's very you know it's very entangled together you want to work harder because of the way you are brought up and then Mm -hmm. you also need to work harder because you have um, you need to maintain your life quality Mm -hmm. but then once you do work harder a lot of problems are going to happen that didn't happen to your parents generation until they're in their 50s maybe all of these disease, all of these problems in your body, the costs on your mental health, mm-hmm. all of that needs to be taken care of. Yeah. And it almost like if you don't change any part of that, any of the things that I just mentioned, then you kind of get yourself into kind of this like infinite circle of things. It's like a cycle of, of, of just bad things. And you have to keep doing each other to make sure the other one doesn't get worse. And in return, it gets worse. I can I can totally understand why young people care about in health insurance because it's so important for young people nowadays. They have so many problems from just you know sitting right. at their desks all day, having to comes to term, having to come to terms with reality of how their passion might not bring them to the desired result. All of those things they have to work with each other, and you have to find a way to make sure you could start with one of the buttons to slow it down a little bit if you want, and then for example moving in with your parents probably is an important thing and for employers understand the young the needs of young people nowadays and they do need health care especially in the united states we've talked about this extensively before on our episodes from our personal experience as yeah, well and I, that's something i don't have to really worry about over here yeah i completely agree i think a lot of americans are exactly like you they're laser focused on on the fact that the health care problem in the united states isn't fixed you know it was supposed to be supposedly fixed in the obama era it's not mm. fixed it's yeah. it's even though more people are covered it doesn't mean people are better off and it doesn't mean exactly. outcomes are better people are still i know people americans who are so indebted for medical debt that of course young people when they're entering the job force are like you better give me excellent health insurance because they've yeah. seen people's lives completely crushed because they didn't get those kind of benefits that is all the time that we have today it's a very lively show if you want to add your two cents please email us at we love the gmail.com we love to hear from you thank you so much alex thank you fans thank you jason we'll see you next time bye guys bye